Conrad, what do you like to eat at Thanksgiving? So my, this has evolved over time, but I have become very much, so you know I keep chickens. I also have a garden because I'm a middle-aged man and that's what middle-aged people do, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always like, this is going to sound super, super uh, middle-aged man thing. I always like cooking things that I have grown. That's awesome. Yeah. it's how, how wholesome. That is the most wholesome thing we've ever talked about on this show, ever. Is your garden organic? Oh, long, long drawn out battle with my wife. And I'm not going to tell you the details of that. But yes, our garden is completely organic. That's really great. What do you do for Thanksgiving? Uh, I'm going to my mother-in-law's. She's old school about Thanksgiving. It's her Super Bowl. And um, I don't know. I like to try to make something for it. I, I like to make pie for Thanksgiving. That's like my small contribution. What kind of pie? I think I'm going to do pumpkin this year. I've, I've done, so I did this whole thing where I was going through, like, I looked up, like, the history, positive and negative history, but, like, what they, people were actually eating at the time. Mm. A lot of wild birds. And so I would do, like, duck and pheasant. Turkey actually wasn't a part of the deal, apparently. Okay. Look it up. It's a wild game, which makes sense. History brought to you by Geetzakalakis on Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. So today... We're going to talk about the news. There's a lot of news going on, so we're going to run through that as quickly as we can. We have an amazing guest, and this is a follow-up to our conversation uh, with Carolyn Elephant, but we're going to be talking about Google My Business and Section 230. And finally, we're going to end, because this is launching right before uh, Thanksgiving, we're going to end with a new segment called Crappy Holiday Promotions. Music? Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Conrad, what is in the news today? Holy cow, Gee! Yesterday, as of this recording, across all of the SEO nerds, uh, there's a new Google Core algorithm update. So right before the holidays, Google decides to shuffle the deck again. So hold on to your seat and don't expect any of the data to be helpful because it is going to be completely thrown out due to the changes in user behavior during the holidays. Florida hates Utah and Arizona. Why is it always Florida? We've got the Florida man making news today on Lentero Legal Marketing. Can you talk to us, Gee, really quickly about the shooting down of alternative ownership structures coming out of the Southeast? Florida man shoots down alternative ownership structures. You know, there's been a movement, growing movement. I expect it to be more of a growing movement of non-lawyers ownership of law firms. Not in Florida, though. Not today in Florida, because the Florida State Bar says that's a no-no. They're preempting this move towards changes to the legal structure. Keep the guild strong. That sounds protectionist to me, Guy. Are you being judgmental there? Nope. Just <laughs> observing. Just dating the fact? All right. And we keep talking. We can't seem to get away from intake, Geek. There's some new stuff coming out of our good friends at Smith AI with Call Intelligence. Give me a quick rundown of what's going on there. 
huge upgrade, in my opinion, uh, at Smith, where they're uh, breaking down a lot more details of uh, segmenting virtual receptionist intake. So if you're looking for like, hey, you know what, I'm getting all these phone calls, but I don't really, you know, I know a lot of these aren't actually potential clients. Smith just did a release of this new performance dashboard, I guess, call intelligence dashboard. And um, go check it out, whether you're a Smith client today or not. I think it's a more insight around call intelligence. We've talked about this forever, extremely valuable. But only if you use it. Right, <laughs> right. Well, like everything else, just like a hammer. <laughs> Strangely, so I mean, th- this goes back to me. I, I say that because there's not a paucity of data and tools out there for law firms to be more amazing than they currently are. The tools don't hammer the nail by themselves, so you got to pick up the tools. Okay, in acquisition news, Lawlytics acquired by Smokeball, which is a really, really interesting acquisition, and also. Our good friends down in, when I say good friends, I mean that, down in California, Scorpion are on the acquisition hunt. They've acquired legal marketing agency, MediaSmack. So welcome to more consolidation in the industry. And finally, I can't help but tip my hat over to Fine Law. We, we, we're currently running, and I'm only saying this because I wrote a blog post. It's not really news, but I can't help but mention it. I wrote an interesting blog post because we had a really, really brutal experience with moving someone off of Fine Law's WordPress site onto, you know, basically moving them away from Fine Law. Very, very difficult, very expensive. And so we're going to go through this process through the Fine Law methodology that they prescribe to do it. And we'll, we'll report back on exactly how difficult it was or otherwise, I'll be honest, if it was easy, we'll let you know, to move a website from Fine Law to another agency. Now, typically, Guy, when you move websites from you know another agency, if like you were to pick up one of my clients, how would we transition the functionality of that website over to you? You'd send me a CD. <laughs> I would print it out and scan it. <laughs> Well, fortunately, because you're not being presumptuous, a large majority of your clients are on WordPress and it's not, there's nothing proprietary about it. You can use a a variety of ways to migrate a WordPress website with the click of a few buttons. Starting with, here's your new password, right? It's pretty easy. (laughs) So my take, my, 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 take has been that um, Fine Law's WordPress version is actually really hard to get away from and actually transition from agency to agency, which takes control out of the law firm. We're going to go through a process that they've told us to do to make that happen. We'll tell you how difficult it was or not, right? Okay, speaking of the news, we got a new review, Key. Yes, our good friend, JB Robinson 413 <laughs> Is that your good friend? It's the 413th JB Robinson. <laughs> says, we provide valuable insights. Guy and Conrad do a great job at aggregating trending news and topics in the legal marketing technology space and presenting them so that you don't have to source this type of news yourself. Highly recommend, especially for small and solo firms. Thank you, JB Robinson 413. But seriously, uh, we do appreciate the feedback. We're always trying to improve the show and it makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside when you say nice things about us. So thank you. Uh, We love getting feedback. Please, please, please go and leave us reviews and tell us what you do or don't like about the show. Hit us up on the socials at hashtag LHLM. It does really help us know what you want to hear, helps others find the show. 
uh, helps us find guests. And um, yeah, again, we sit here and talk to each other for your benefit. So if there's stuff you want to hear, please let us know. And now for one of our favorite segments, it's time for the Legal Trends Report Minute brought to you by Clio. From the newest edition of the Legal Trends Report, law firms should recognize that ultimately the most sought-after trait in a lawyer is responsiveness to questions. 86% of the folks that they surveyed say that that is the most sought-after trait, should be the ultimate goal in making decisions about how to design a firm's client-centered services. You know, this is what we're talking about. It's shockingly, responsiveness is still an issue. Technology can also influence a firm's ability to deliver across other aspects of client experience. Payment plans. 81% want payment plans. 81%. That's huge, right? Yeah. Like, that's immense. Right. Reviews and referrals, shockingly. And 81% for reviews and referrals, uh, also influenced by positive experience that the firm provides. To see where firms have the most to benefit, they also looked at how some of the most successful law firms have built that success. They go deep to learn more about these opportunities and much more for free. Download Clio's Legal Trends Report 2021 edition at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. So I'm going to kind of set up the conversation here. Conrad and I, we don't know anything about internet law. I mean, we know a little bit. We know enough to be dangerous and say the wrong things when we record ourselves talking about it. <laughs> um, but but this really, uh, this conversation grew out of a conversation that we were having with Carolyn Elephant, who's an attorney in DC, and folks that want to check out that conversation for prior episode can. But there's a million things we want to talk about, but we want to try to stay as focused as we possibly can. And the big ones for us are this idea of the intersection of Google My Business, reviews, right? So user-generated content with reviews, Section 230. And for me, my own personal interests, I'm also curious about competitive keyword uh, bidding and just the general like state of affairs of the intersection of legal marketing and the laws and the rules relating to some of these issues. So... Conrad and I have been fanboying out here because we are truly excited to have this conversation with, and we were trying to decide even like, how do we refer like to Section 230 superstar professor, associate dean for research, had his first paper on internet law published in 93 on this stuff, Eric Goldman with us today. And so thank you so much. I can't know if I can call you, Eric. I'm going to try to call you, I don't know, Dean Goldman at least. But thank you so much for spending some time with us on Lunch Hour Legal Marketing today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So just to get us started, why can people just go post reviews on Google and you can't go to Google and say, hey, Google, take these down or I'm going to sue you? Why isn't Google liable? Right. So the question is, why isn't Google liable for reviews submitted by third parties? And the answer here in the United States is that Congress in 1996 passed a law called 47 U.S.C. 230 or Section 230 that basically says websites aren't liable for third party content. 
And that definitely applies in the context of consumer review services. We have many cases against consumer review services trying to hold the service liable for what um, reviews have been submitted by their uh, users. And those cases have universally failed. Section 230 says very plainly that the consumer review services aren't liable for the reviews submitted by third parties. So we start with the baseline with something like Google's review service that they're not liable for the reviews that are posted, regardless of the quality of those reviews, regardless if they've gotten a notice demanding that those reviews be taken down, even if they were to have other kinds of actual knowledge that there's a problem with the review, Section 230 is very powerful. It says they're not liable for it. Awesome. And then this is another argument that I've heard. You know, well, what if Google decides to moderate the comments? Does that knock them out of Section 230 protection? And the short answer is no. And in fact, Section 230 was enacted to overturn a case that had said, if you're moderating user content, you lose the protections under existing legal doctrines for being a republisher of content, and you take responsibility of those items as the publisher of them. And Congress said, we don't want that because we know that if we establish that as a rule, then internet services might choose not to remove problematic content. And we want them to do that socially valuable work. So Section 230, from its inception, has always been designed to say, we want internet services moderating the content, managing their database, editing out the items of content that they don't think are appropriate for their audience. And we'll give them this liability protection if they do that work. If they don't do that work, it's all the same. So you'll hear a lot of discussion about Section 230 talk about this idea that internet services can opt out of them by doing too much editing of the items in their database. And that's just a, a historical view. And that's a big fight that's going to be coming up, even with the context of Facebook, right? Because that's the arguments being made, right? Moderation on Facebook and Twitter. Well, there's certainly a lot of people who are looking for ways to hold Twitter and Facebook liable for user content. I question the end game of those people, what they actually want. Um, usually the goal that they want is very sensorial and it's not in the best interest of any of us. Right. Yeah, I would love to get your feeling on, and I think we can go from the most honorable to the most smarmy in terms of reviews, right? So one of the problems with Google My Business is the reviews, many of them are fake, right? And so I would, I'd love your opinion on lawyers soliciting reviews, right? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Yelp recently smacked me down for encouraging people to review their lawyer on Yelp. And then all the way to like lawyers proactively buying what they know are going to be fake reviews, which by the way, dirty side of the internet, that happens all the time, right? And we, we, we see this. So there's kind of this whole spectrum there. Would love to get your perspective on, on how that should be handled by law firms, really tactically. I think that's a great way of dividing up the issue. Um, you've got anywhere from completely genuine, honest, unsolicited client reviews laying out their true perspective, which might not always be flattering. Lawyers have to be prepared for that. But we want those reviews to be part of the ecosystem. They're, I think, an integral part of the way that, that people talk to each other. The word of mouth that has always transpired in uh, the, quote, marketing of lawyers is now available to the online community. And you know that's a fact of nature. But then you've got a whole bunch of other ways in which the review system is being gamed. So we've got lawyers who are soliciting reviews, in some cases, just because they want to increase the base of reviews overall. They're not telling clients what to say. They're not trying to steer clients in any direction, um, but they just want that to be a larger number so that when you get the oddball review, it gets washed out by the more genuine perspectives that have been accumulated over time. 
And then you've got situations where lawyers and certainly other businesses might be buying reviews. They might be giving some kind of financial incentive or discount to try to get their clients to, to talk about them generally favorably. What the doctor community has gravitated towards doing is asking clients or patients to review them while they're in the doctor's office. And there's a whole bunch of social science that says that patients don't like to trash their doctors while they're actually sitting in their office. And of course, you don't really want to trash your doctor anyway if you're going to go see him again, um, because that's a good recipe for not getting top quality care. And then finally, you've got the inauthentic reviews, of which there's many categories of them. One could be competitor gaming, which I'm sure happens in the legal community. It definitely happens in other communities, as well as you've got the situation where you've just got, you know, the malicious review. It's something that is, you know, a personal attack or something that has nothing to do with the, the lawyer's service to clients, but there's some other reason why this person's being attacked. And it's those latter two categories that I know really frustrate people. And we we hope and trust that internet services, the review services uh, like the Google Business Review Platform are actively fighting to curb. But we know that in some cases, the services are doing a better job than others and fighting those inauthentic reviews. The thing for lawyers to remember is that bringing a lawsuit over those almost certainly is never going to be satisfying. For the same reason we advise our clients not to go chase you know, people who are attacking them online in many cases, it's just not going to be satisfying at the end. Lawyers have to be prepared for the fact that in many cases, the law is not the solution. They have to look for other options. Right. And some of this too is is just, and you might say, you know, I'm, I don't really want to get into like my personal opinions, but like you've lived this and seen the evolution of this since it began. And the thing that I think about, and I'd love to, even if you just have like a short version of like your opinion on it, like what about the consumer harm? You know, like people are relying on these reviews, their fake reviews to make decisions about serious issues, like which lawyer to hire, which doctor to go to. Like, what do we do about that? We just say, shrug? Yeah, well, again, it depends. But that's a lawyer answer. So, you know, hey, we're talking among friends here. Um, so, you know, there's lots of reasons why there's going to be bad information in the ecosystem that's going to cause clients to not get the truth. If a lawyer has a large enough base of authentic reviews, it's actually quite hard to game those reviews with inauthentic reviews. It's possible, but it just becomes harder. So I think the number one thing that lawyers want to think about is how do I get a large base of authentic reviews? That establishes a baseline of truth that's going to be hard for anyone to dislodge. If there isn't that that large corpus of existing reviews, then it becomes much harder to fend off an attack like that because they're overwhelming whatever authentic reviews have already been posted. But I think the question is, will a lawsuit solve that problem? And the answer is, you have to make sure that you know who the target is, or you got to make sure that you can get discovered to find them. And then the odds of that being satisfying are just so low. The steps that are going to be required in order to scrub the inauthentic reviews, really, really time consuming. And so I think for many lawyers, the question is, can I live with it? And if you built a large enough base of authentic reviews, the answer might be yes. Now, I do think that in all cases, it's appropriate to remind the review services of the importance of actually having mechanisms to, to detect and remove inauthentic reviews. But that's on their discretion whether or not to do it. Google often gets criticized for not doing more on that front. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair criticism of Google that they're not doing enough? I, I don't know firsthand, so I can't opine upon that. But I've certainly heard the complaints, and I know that they're not uh, they're not just a small segment of the population who might have other access to grind. So last week we had a, we had Carolyn Elephant on the call, and she was very annoyed about a specific thing. I want to I want to see what you think about whether or not this characterizes as an authentic review, because it it becomes a very fuzzy spectrum. 
Carolyn talked about law firms that have their front desk be really, really helpful. And then they don't ever hire the law firm, but the front desk is really helpful for something that the law firm is never going to engage with that prospect for. But then they, the front desk asks for the review because they're going to be seen positively. If you know, they'll get a hundred dollar bonus if you mention my name in the review, right? In order to encourage not just clients, but anyone who calls into the law firm to generate reviews, authentic or not. Well, kind of in between. Let me explain why. So in general, reviewing the front-facing operations of a law firm is fair game for reviews. So you know, even if someone says, I had a conversation with this uh, law firm, it wasn't a match, but I still felt good about that experience, I think that's more helpful than not information to the marketplace. What becomes less authentic is the possibility of payment. So if there's actually payment going to the reviewer, the FTC guidelines are pretty clear about this, that that review now needs to be labeled as having been paid for. Right. And if the person who's writing the review isn't making that, then in theory, the firm is supposed to go and remind them of the obligation to make that disclosure and maybe take other remedial steps unspecified by the FTC. So it's the payment mechanism that starts to make that less authentic. But if it's properly disclosed, I think then it's an acceptable contribution. We would hope that people reading that would say, oh, I don't know, that's probably not the most reliable opinion. But if the disclosure isn't there, then I think we have a problem. Okay. Yeah, a couple other things that just come to mind. And again, I I think uh, your uh, opinion might be implied from your response, but like on balance, we're like, you know, look, we want free exchange of information on the internet. And so we're willing to say, you know, look, kind of buyer beware for when you go out and shop on whether it's Amazon or health grades or Avo or Google. So consumers just kind of beware. It just seems like there ought to be something. I'm not suggesting that lawsuits are the answer either. It just, it just seems to me that the consumer's in a bad spot with, um, I can't make heads or tails out of who to, to choose their lawyer. And you got state bars that are, um, you know, make it very difficult for lawyers to distinguish themselves. You know, you, there's all of the false and misleading and like what's the uh, distinction between puffery and advertising and marketing and objectively verifiable stuff. I don't know. I, I guess I just think about the consumer and that who's in the best position to help sort that out. Um, and I don't have the answer either. I just that's just kind of part of like where my mind goes. I mean, but to be fair, the marketing for legal services has been dysfunctional forever. Um, and <laughs> yeah, yes, I right, love it. Right. Just think about the ways in which people have selected lawyers in, in the old ways through a referral from a person who says, yes, I use this lawyer, like a one person testimonial, or they've That's called great. up a state bar referral service and then they just yeah. get whoever the random wheel of referrals is. And so, you know, Compared to those baselines, I might say that reviews are actually potentially more helpful. Knowing even that there's some gaming in the system, they still might be more helpful than the old school models. Such a great point. That is a great, that is, by the way, that's what we're going to go out with when we market this podcast. But that, like, the way you said it is that you're exactly right. It's been a disaster and it has, and you know, the reality is it's really hard to evaluate the quality of an attorney if you're a layperson. Because you have, and especially for commodity services where you really don't have a, uh, any data about the track record of the lawyer, right. you know, and the lawyer will get, you know, always show their most signing examples, but you don't know, like, how did this lawyer perform against other lawyers? We just don't even know those kinds of questions. Or I forgot to mention the old school yellow pages. Those yeah. are terrible ways of people selecting lawyers. So clients in general are information starved when it comes to making lawyer selections. And so, you know, to me, I think the fact 
fact, we're seeing more information that might help a consumer, even though it's not always perfect. I think we should be encouraging that and looking for ways to make that deeper and more robust. I love it. Okay. Obviously, we've got way too much to talk about in this segment. So listeners, tune in next time where we pick back up with Professor Goldman on the subject of competitive keyword bidding and emojis. But for now, we're going to switch gears and talk about amazing holiday promotions. But first, let's take a quick break. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app. Smart firms use CallRail to track where every lead comes from. PPC, LSA, organic search, or even offline ads. CallRail tells you which channels drive your best leads. CallRail even integrates with your favorite CRM or practice management tools to help manage your leads and see the ROI on your marketing investments. Know exactly which marketing tools work. Plans start at 45 bucks a month. We recommend CallRail to every single one of our clients. Go to callrail.com slash lunch hour now and try it for free. All right, coming back now, Guy, if our listeners are listening to this as it goes out, it is the day before Thanksgiving. So happy holidays to everyone. There's lots of really bad holiday promotions that come out there, aren't there? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Your Facebook will be flowing with lots of different messages, but actually they all are the same. That was totally improv. Dude, that was well done. (laughs) Except for the tone and the pitch and the harmony. By the way, much better than if I had done. I do not sing in public. I don't even sing in private. Neither do I. It's offensive. Is this public? I've seen you sing in public. Actually, That's true, I've I seen do. pictures of you singing. Yeah, so don't give me that. All right, let's get back on track here. So <laughs> it's holiday season. This is the time that we see happy holidays. And, you know, I mean, look, the intent is good. We talk about this all the time. Staying top of mind, connecting and engaging with people in your audience. Holiday season's probably a good time to be thinking about that. But here's a problem. I'm sure you've got some problems too. But here's a problem that I see. You know, I've subscribed to tons of email newsletters and blah, blah, blah from law firms. I'm connected with a lot of lawyers online on social platforms. And I can't tell you, you know what really just puts the Grinch in the holidays is when you see firms just sending out the same canned holiday message, literally the same words, exactly the same images, the same email message. All right, my rant's over. That's what do you rant? think about that? You think that's good marketing? Well, I think where you're getting to is it it just become it, we are inundated between November and January 1st. And and actually there's a whole bunch of new things about January 1st, right? And it's all very very sorry, that's not fair. 
much of it is very, very similar, and it comes across as trite and unimportant. I will tell you, my best advice for the holiday season gift, this, this advice is too late for you. If you're listening to this right now, mark your calendar for the beginning of November next year, because this is too late. Don't send out the holiday gift basket. Don't send out your holiday cards. Don't send out anything that is going to arrive between December 2 and January 1st. Get ahead of all of it and send out a Thanksgiving Day card or a Thanksgiving Day thank you, right? Because it's different. And it's actually, I love the Thanksgiving Day approach because you're literally, for us, we're literally saying thanks to our clients and you guys should be as well. So it's, I mean, thematically it dovetails beautifully, but you literally have a built-in excuse to get ahead, be different and stand out from the crowd by not sending a fruit basket on December 15th. Now, I don't mean to besmirch all the people who send me fruit baskets and cookies. Um, you love fruit baskets. <laughs> and I love cookies. But um, I, I can see like nothing's going to show up at the office this year after people hear this. But try and stand out. Be different. And it's so easy to do that with Thanksgiving. It's just built into the concept of saying thanks and being grateful. And it's just so easy. So it's too late. Too late for my best idea. I love those. And I... You know, just kind of picking up on that in the spirit of the holidays or gratitude, whatever holiday it is, whatever holiday you celebrate, when you're doing something that expresses your gratitude to your clients, or, you know, maybe you're doing some community service work, right? Like another one is like uh, highlight your holiday volunteer work or charitable functions that you're doing. But again, the point here is, is gratitude plus different. You know, look, you can do all sorts of stuff around the holidays that's feel-good stuff that you think is the right thing to do. That's that's important. Don't deny it. But if you're talking about it from a marketing standpoint, you know, that ugly unholiday word of marketing, then you got to be thinking at the core of that is like, what can you do to stand out? Because it's not going to help you stand out by just... And again, for me, it's like the lack of authenticity, like having someone just push a button with a Adobe stock image that five other firms in your area are also sending to everybody. It just destroys the whole purpose, which is to actually do something that people are like, hey, you know what? That firm actually does care. Uh, that firm does care about its clients. It cares about its service. Go do something nice for your team members, right? If you're at a firm with uh, with folks on it, go take your team out for a holiday dinner and celebrate that and put that out there in the world. But in any event, uh, that's the thing. We we know they're com- We know the flood's coming, or the I guess it's a blizzard, depending on where you are. Blizzard where I am. Um, oh, it's a flood in Seattle right now. Flood in Seattle. Do something to be different and uh, lead with empathy and gratitude around the holidays. I like that. Lead with empathy and gratitude. It's not mine. I stole it from some. Doesn't matter. From Sounds See, good. Look at me. I'm copying everybody else too now. It is a good wrap up. So for those who are celebrating, happy Thanksgiving. Conrad and I are truly grateful to you as a listener. So thank you so much. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful holiday time, hopefully with your family and friends, reflecting on what you're grateful for. And again, we are grateful for feedback. So please do connect with us, leave reviews. And if you're just landing on this episode, please do subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts. Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. 
you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. All right. Is that it? If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.